Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Okay, uh, welcome everyone. And we're still waiting for a few people to get online because when you open up the video room or the, the room, people, it takes a minute for everybody to kind of get going. So uh, good afternoon, we'll get started here in any minute. Uh, we're in the first part of the estate planning, estate succession planning today for the hour. And we'll be back next Thursday for that hour too on March 4th. And in the meantime, if you want to sit in on our, or listen to the uh, farm program and crop insurance decisions, that's a Monday special Monday webinar. Again, go to farm.unl.eu to register for that. Um, so that's what's going on there. I'd also like to point out that the Nebraska Rural Response Hotline is a great resource for ag professionals across the state, providing mental health counseling, information regarding legal assistance, financial clinics, mediation, and more. Hotline's toll-free number is uh, 1-800-464-0258. They also have a wealth of resources related to stress and wellness at ruralwellness, rural all one word, .unl.edu, and that is on your website, excuse me, that is on the page that uh, is showing on your screen right now, it should be anyway. So that's, uh, that's the announcements I needed to make. And I think we're ready to, to start my uh, program. What happened to my screen? Hang on, do I have to share a screen again? I bet I do, here we go. All right, okay. So, um, okay, and I, th I think Ryan, I think you're gonna, Ryan, you go through and make sure that everyone's muted, is that correct? Yep, I think we're good to go. Thank you, all right, very good. Hi, um, so I'm Alan Vanalek, I'm with the University um, Extension Educator, um, and for the last, uh, well, now almost four years, I'm uh, working on farm succession, farm and ranch succession and transition from uh, the Ag Econ Department at Philly Hall here on East Campus. That's my email address. That's how to get a hold of me. There's my phone number. And there's the web page that I have a whole bunch of stuff um, posted to. The web page uh, has uh, some articles that have been written by myself and others. Plus, it has uh, my videos. Today, I'm going to give you about an hour of my two and a half hour long program. And so uh, understand that, that, that uh, there's more to listen to if you want to. And it's at that web page, uh, that, that, that website. And that... Um, you, uh, you can listen to as much or as little as you want to. Um, and uh, let's see, hang on, I'm trying to, there we go. There we go. Uh, and so that, that's what you can find at that website and that's how you get a hold of me. I am not working every day at the office. I'm someday working uh, from home. And so go ahead and leave a, a phone message at that number on the screen. And I will listen to the message within, usually within 12 hours, 24 hours, and I will get back to you. So there you go. Um, and if you have questions along the way, just throw them into the chat. Where's the chat at? I don't see the chat. Okay, there's a chat right there. Uh, will slides today be available? Yes. So slides from today will be made available to participants. As soon as we get done with the program, I will send the slideshow slide deck to Ryan, and Ryan will post them on this post them on the same website. And then when when uh, this is being recorded. And then the recording will be posted to the website too. So if you see, if you have anyone else that wants to watch this, uh, just, just send them to that website. They can watch the recording. They can pull up the slides. Uh, today I'm speaking. I'm going to get as much done as I can in an hour. I'm sure I have more than an hour's worth of stuff here, but I, I'll get, I'll rock through it as fast as I can or as well as I can. And then next week I'm going to feature a guy named Brandon Dirkschneider who's a financial uh, planner and a certified ag succession farm and sex, farm and ranch succession coordinator. 
and he's going to talk today. I'm going to talk about the communications and what you got to do to get started. Okay, this whole process, family communications, all that stuff to get started in a success. Uh, how to figure out what's going to happen with the farm next or ranch next. And then next week, Brandon will talk about some of the tools you can use to make that happen. So I think the two two part series is going to be helpful because we're covering a couple of things. Uh, it comes to cover it more in depth with uh, Ryan's uh, talk next week. Um, okay, so let's go. So today, here's some of the things I'm going to talk about: family, why we don't plan, family communications, the whole concept of fair versus equal, negotiation, uh, how to create create more value, and then your assign your homework assignments, uh, things to think about. This is not a this this two part series is not a, a substitute for actual estate planning. As a matter of fact. Don't assume that anything Ryan and I say are actual legally legally binding. We, we're not saying anything legal. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not smart enough to be a lawyer. But I hope that if you listen and kind of think through some of the stuff and do some planning ahead of time, we've saved you some time with your professional. And with lawyers costing between two and four hundred dollars and two hundred dollars an hour and four hundred dollars an hour, if I save you an hour or two, it's well worth you spending an, a, a noon hour with me to hear some of this stuff, uh, especially even two two Thursdays in a row. So are farmers ever going to retire? Well, here in the university, my survey, 35% have some plans, good for them. And another 54%, 9 plus 24 plus 21, say they've never planned to fully retire from farming. That's over half. If you look at Iowa's numbers, whoops, did I put Iowa's numbers here? Iowa's numbers will show the 78% plan to never fully retire in the survey they did. So why are we not wanting to retire? And I'm not trying to say that you should retire. Knock yourself out. As long as you get up in the cab, go do it. But why are we not wanting to do that? Well, and then have you identified a successor? Just over half said they have. And of those, they said it was, it was a child. I was here, so I was number 78%, never fully planned to retire. 31% plus 47%, 78%, never fully planned to retire from farming. Why aren't we retiring? Well, because it's a control issue. Us boomers, us older people, Love the control of the farm. And to be true, some of us have only had our parents pass away. Well, I still have a mother-in-law that's still with us, and I hope she's with us for a long time yet. But, but we still have parents still in the fold. And in some cases, you know, the, the standing story in Nebraska from Dave Gaylor, my predecessor, was 65-year-old comes up to Dave and says, when is it appropriate to give control to your son of the farming operations if your son's farming with you? Dave asks the guy, how old are you? 65. How old's your son? 30. But I'm not talking about him. Well, Dave goes, what? I don't understand. He says, well, no, I'm talking about my 92-year-old father. When's it appropriate for him to give control of the farm? Because the, the grandson and the son had to go to 92-year-old grandfather and get marching orders every day. Control's huge for, the, for these older generations. So that's just to keep that in mind. Modern equipment with GPS steering and all that stuff allows you to go longer. Uh, you don't want to think about retirement because you relate that to your own uh, death, your own mortality. You can't afford to retire. That'd be the sad news. The good news is you have a healthier, longer life, so you don't need to delay retirement. Now, if you notice my earlier side, I said 58% said they had a successor, but here, 55% say they don't have a successor. So I, I, I know that my numbers in the survey were small enough that I could have that kind of a margin of error, and so I'm assuming about half the farmers have successors and half don't. And if I talk to the bag bankers and some of the ag lenders and some other professionals that work with farmers, that turns out to be about right. About half have successors and half don't. And then just over half don't know what else they do. And I have talked to farmers that say, well, I don't, I don't want to go play cards at the beer, you know, at the, at the tavern necessarily in retirement. I'm not going to go to the coffee shop. I don't even like coffee. I would go to Husker football games in the fall, but that's not even important anymore. I mean, no offense, Scott Frost, but that's not important. And and uh, anyway, the bottom line is we can do, we need to do better, and um, we need to think about. And, and so the bottom line is I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or, or chide anybody to think they need to retire. But what happens to your stuff when you're gone? Because we haven't been able to avoid death yet. We're all going to die. What happens to our stuff? unfortunate part is a whole bunch of people don't have state plans in place so therefore more often than not planning tends to tends to be deferred and it gets deferred until it's a critical life event which occurs which forces the family to address the matter 
And so I look at that and I go, wait a minute, that's a research study is telling me that. And more importantly, how do families make decisions when they're under stress? I would suggest that maybe they don't make good decisions under stress. So let's, let's get a plan together before this. There's, there's this great big catastrophic event and we have all the stress and, and that, that will be a better decision. Take our time, make a good decision. That's a better decision than waiting until you have a catastrophe occur of some sort. Somebody passes away or somebody, whatever, whatever happens. We don't like to plan because we assume it's complicated. We don't like to plan because it's mental work. And to be true, if you talk to some lawyers, it's really taxing on your brain because the bottom line is uh, the lawyers, the lawyers use their own terminology, their own version of English. And they, so they start talking about wills and probating wills. And they talk about they're doing trusts and LLCs and, and power of attorneys and uh, state planning and all this stuff. And it gets to, not English we're used to dealing with and it gets to be all confused in our mind and that becomes the mental work. And so we kind of want to push that off to the side and not think about it. We don't want to think about death. I talked about that. But more importantly, I'm finding out that we don't want to plan because we're afraid if we put a plan together now, some point in time in the future, three, five, seven years from now, the plan's going to change. And guess things will change and you, you made the wrong plan. And guess what? You're right. Things will change three, five, seven years from now. I'm, that, I'm, not, I'm not debating that for a second. The bottom line is you put a plan together. So in case there's the great demise before it's planned, there's something in place. We don't have to deal with it catastrophically. But more importantly, we put a plan together. And if it change, things, circumstances change, if something changes in the family, you just change the plan. Because it's cheaper to change the plan, adjust it, adapt it to your situation than it is to have to die and then have something wrong with the plan. That's all I'm saying. That costs more money. That'll be, that'll be worse. There's three types of planning that has to go into the most, most ag careers. And we only really talk about the first two. So first type of planning we need to have in place ever since we're 18 years old is your end of life plan or end of life documents. At the end of life, what I'm talking about is Power of attorney forms and healthcare power of attorney. Power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney. I'll start with that. Just just gives the hospital and the doctors the directive that if I cannot, if I'm incapacitated, cannot uh, respond for myself, then the healthcare power of attorney gives them directive of what we want to have happen to us. The other two uh, power of attorneys is once for durable power of attorney. So if I'm incapacitated, the person who has a durable power of attorney can take care of my business affairs when I'm gone. And then the other one is the healthcare power of attorney. And that's the person that's designated to take care of my healthcare decisions if I'm incapacitated. And they work with that healthcare directive that the doctors and the hospital should have to, to figure out what's gonna happen or not happen. They can be the same person, the durable power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney can be the same person, but they don't have to be. All right, the second circle on this is your, and you need and you need all those end of life documents in place ever since you're 18 years old. So if you have a 20 year old kid and they don't have a, a will, excuse me, a power of attorney forms in place, guess what happens to them if they become incapacitated because of an auto accident or whatever? You can't as a parent go and, and go to work with the hospital or the doctors on that because they're over 18. And so you'd have to go petition the court and that all takes time and that all takes money and you have to involve a lawyer, you know, it's just, it's just a mess. So make sure they have those forms in place too. Estate planning, the second circle, lower left. Estate planning is just simply, what happens to my stuff when I'm gone? I, they usually use that, to, you usually take care of that through a will. Or in some cases, if we're passing the, the farm on or assets on, we maybe put them in a trust and it goes on. Or we use a limited liability company or corporation to to push things to an LLC to go to the next generation or, or other structures, it doesn't matter. The, the estate plan is just what happens to my stuff when I'm not here anymore. And then, but the third part is the one, the third part I think is maybe more important in terms of this discussion, because quite honestly, I finding that farmers don't think about the business session part very much. If you're lucky enough to have somebody come into the farm to take over your business, what are you going to do to help them make sure that, that business survives? What, what structures are you going to put in place to make sure that they can keep going with their business? By the way, this is what Brandon's going to talk about next week. So it's like buy-sell agreements. It's things like long-term lease agreements. It's things like first right of refusals. 
It's things like long-term land contracts. Whatever you do to make get that keep that next generation in place, that's what you want to have happen with that business succession planning. That's the part we tend we tend to do the first two circles right. We tend to not do that third circle right. So make sure you have that figured out for you. What people get stuck in is just what I call my circle. I call it the circle of inaction. The circle of inaction is starts at number one. There it says I should have a plan. Everybody kind of understands that. That's not hard to figure out. Number two, I go to a meeting or meet with a lawyer. I would say this hour doesn't even really qualify as a meeting, but if you come to my full two-hour, two- or three-hour dog and pony show, then that would qualify as a meeting, but I'm not sure this does. I'm teasing, but you should go to a meeting or meet with a lawyer. Number three, complicated, give me a headache. I don't want to think about it anymore. It's too complicated. Uh, I want to think about how I'm going to breed my cows. I want to think about how what, what variety of corn I'm going to plant, how much fertilizer I'm going to use, how I'm going to take care of the control weeds. And so you go into no, no action at this time because you're too busy doing this other stuff. And you sit in that number four spot. I take no action at this time for three months to three years. How do I know that? Happened to me too. I had a will that I needed to have updated about five, six, seven years ago. And I kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Right? Well, actually, I had a, it was about 10 years ago. I had a will I needed updated. And I put it off for five years until I finally got to it. And I got it done about five years ago. But you have to get out, you have to think about this sequentially, meaning I've, I should have a plan. I go to a meeting or meet with a lawyer. Family meets to explore options. Not having family together is important, I think, so that everybody has a chance to participate. Options pick, you get a succession plan put together. You're going to get that done in three days? No. Three weeks? No. But can you get it done in three to six months? Yes. So make sure you just keep going sequentially through this and get this all pulled together. And have this all set up so that you get it done by 4th of July. Have a celebration for If you don't, if you don't, and you just let it go, and the kids get started working on this, it'll be just like this capuchin monkey experiment. Monkeys were treated differently, and you can see in this experiment, one was given a grape and one was given a cucumber and you can see how that works out for the monkeys and it will work out the same way for your children if you don't give them a sense of what's fair and that does not necessarily mean what's equal uh watch and you'll know what i'm talking about whoops come back go back see what happens so she gives a rock to us that's the task and we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. And if you, if you don't think that that's a, an accurate depiction of what will happen when, in humans too, you really haven't been around enough families, okay? So it's a perception of equality or fairness. They were both getting a piece of food if they performed the task, but if they don't think it's fair, even though, you know, I, no, no more judgment, I'll quit there. Parents make lots of assumptions and they think they're gonna be right and they don't always turn out that way. And I wanna talk about what the assumptions are. One, our business is our business. We don't get, it doesn't get shared with anyone. And there's too many old white guys like myself that if somebody brings up, hey, you should have an estate plan, they want to turn around and walk away. And it's our old heritage in here in Nebraska, especially in eastern Nebraska, that tends to be Czech, but not like it's Czech, or it's Polish, or it's German, or it's, you know, whatever. Strasbourg, it's Swedish, and all those, all those European descent people. And if we don't want to talk about something, we tend to just, nah, just walk away and don't talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. We're not going to, our business, our business, I don't share that with anyone. And the sad thing about that is that sometimes, you know, they go to the grave with the plan in their head, but never put it on a piece of paper. 
kids get along. I think we need to do better than that for our children. Kids get along great now. I know they'll continue even though I'm gone. They're going to continue. But, you know, in fact, the matter is sometimes the parents are the glue that holds the kids together. With the parents gone, then you'll have somebody starting to, to stir the pot a little bit and say, hey, uh, this is worth lots of millions of dollars. Maybe I should get uh, my fair share. And that's interesting. That creates problems. Because greed is a powerful negative emotion that tends to screw things up. I know that my children want to keep this asset in the family even when we're gone. So I'm talking to this one lady calls me up and she says, I'm the executor of my mom's estate. Mom just passed away. A month ago or so, I had to take my mom to a nursing home appointment and I took her there. And then on the way back home, she said, hey, drive by the farm. I want to see everything's going. So they drove by the farm and the, the grandma says, stop. And they look at the farm and grandma says, daughter, you're the executor. More than anything, I want this to stay in the family. Look how, how well it looks and how good it looks and, and how well it's been taken care of. And more than anything, keep that in the family. It's important to me that you keep that. And the daughter says, yeah, I'm fine with it. We're going to try and keep it. The income off the rent is fine for us. Mom, as the luck would have it, mom passes away about two. Grandma passed away about two weeks later. The daughter is now the executor having to work with her brother and sister is three in the family. And as it turned out, one of the other two said, yeah, I want to keep the farm. But the other one, the third one said, no, I need to pay some bills and I would like to go on a trip. And so I want to cash, out, cash mine out. None of the kids were farmers. And so there, there was not a lot of cash laying around. So the, other, the two that wanted to keep it couldn't necessarily buy the other one out because it was going to be too big of a load, financial load, burden, financial burden at, at current market prices. So they ended up having to sell the farm to get the thing split. And so they didn't, fi they didn't finish mom's wishes. So if that's the wish as an older generation, then you better make sure that you put tools in place to make sure that happens. And I'm not saying you have to. I told that at one of my workshops and somebody said, well, I'm not going to direct my kids to do that. And I said, that's fine. But if you want that to happen, if that's important to you, then you have to think about that with I'll be gone. I don't care. I'll be dead. I don't care how my kids divide it. They can divide however they want to. Well, if you want to start World War III with the kids, just go with that assumption. It's a terrible assumption, but if you want to start, if you want to start the family feud, just don't do anything. I have four children, and even though I got one of them on the farm, I have to divide my assets exactly 25% each. That's equally, that's the only fair way to do it. So a farmer comes up to me once, he says, yeah, I'm one of four kids. I stayed on the farm with mom and dad. I'm 68 years old. I've been on the farm with mom and dad for 50 years. Dad passed away a couple of years ago. Mom passed away earlier this year. Anyway, a month ago, we read the will. And the will says, even though I've been on the farm with mom and dad for 50 years, help them grow it and do the assets and help them buy ground and help them get more equipment and all that stuff, push things forward. I get 25% because I'm one of four children. Does that sound fair? Does that sound like... He's being treated equitably for the sweat equity put into this thing. And I would maintain maybe not. Okay. However, when it comes to situations like this, the golden rule applies. The golden rule says, not what we heard in church, uh, do unto others as others do unto you. That, that's not it. I mean, that's still the golden rule, but that's not what I'm talking about. The golden rule here is just simply, you who has the gold makes the rule. So after grandpa and grandma, mom and dad want, they certainly can do that. We can't necessarily convince them of anything different, okay? But if they do that in this situation, well, this, this man who's been there for 50 years and still wants to farm for a few more years, because remember, nobody wants to ever retire, uh, is he going to be able to continue farming? I would submit if any one of the other three went out, he will not get to continue farming because he'll, he'll, the, the, the cost of buying the other ones out Will be just too great and is that that's what so my point is to this to matriarch and patriarch you can make it equal but your farming operation may not continue if you want to farming operation continue then you got to consider out how to make it equitable so that, that on-farm kid far son or daughter or whoever that happens to be nephew niece i don't care they can stay farm and some say someday son or daughter this will all be yours unless that's notarized no it's not true it's a, it's a false statement so, so, and so for parents, these can be good assumptions. I'm not saying they're all, they'll all blow up in your face. I'm telling you that more, I've heard too many stories where these do. So don't assume anything. 
first conversation about any estate plan is not who gets the South 80 or who, who gets the South Quarter or right? who gets the whatever, who gets the antique tractor in the shed. The first conversation is when we get done with this talk about estate planning, are we still going to have a family or not? That should be the first conversation because if we don't make that assumption, we should get that commitment. I heard of one daughter-in-law in, in the family that said, uh, I, I'm not going to help with the, with the auction. You guys drag all that stuff out of the house and, and have the auction here in the front yard and then just send me my check. I'm, I don't want to help. Well, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, really mean that person has a commitment to the family. She just wants her money. And so, you know, let's know that ahead of time. Let's know that in front. Let's, let's know what this uh, commitment is. And secondly, don't start any discussion with the family or anyone. Unless mom and dad, the matriarch, patriarch, grandpa, grandma, whoever that happens to be, are on the same page. Because if grandpa thinks one thing and he tells one child this, and grandma thinks another thing, and he tells one child that, and now the children start to get split, then it's a, it's a, you're, 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 you're in trouble. You're, 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 you, you have a failed plan before you even get started. So just understand that. What, is the, what do your assets look like at the end? What begin with the end in mind? Turning keys, when I'm turning into keys in my retire, on my retirement day, what's that operation look like? Am I returning them into the next generation, to an auctioneer, to a renter? You need to kind of think about what that looks like first. And I'm not saying you're retiring. I'm just saying this is the last day that you could physically go do what you're doing. Or maybe you chose to retire. That's fine, too. What do you do with the keys to your operation? Where are they, where are they going? Start with that vision. If you start with that, then you know how to, the rest of it should go. Successful traditions have that kind of vision. What does that per future look like to you in a perfect world? I have talked to too many fathers that I've gone, so your son, is he said he wants to farm or not? Well, I don't know. I didn't ask him. Bad answer. You got it. No, you should have that family communication so you know. And so in your world, what is your reality? Are you ending the business? Are you selling the business too or getting it to a neighbor or what's happening there? Is somebody else taking over? Or you passing it to an error, okay? Have that conversation with the family first. Know where you're at. Know where you want to go and kind of go with that. And in some cases, we're coming up with generation skipping techniques. If, if I'm going to stay farming until I'm 70 or 75, chances are my grandson might be old enough that I can just turn it over to a grandson instead of a son or a daughter. So just know what that looks like. Your transition has to have... But what happens in your transition has to be based on what your goals are for different things. And so for that older generation, their goals are, are, are centered around where they're going to live, what money they need for retirement. Because if you're like, well, I should, probably shouldn't use my own example, but if you're like my mom, dad, to kind of waited to do some extensive travel until they were until they were off the farm. So you need cash to do that. Where's that cash going to come from? And then does it come from the sale of the machinery? Does it come from the sale of livestock? Does it come from the sale of a piece of ground? Has it come from, is, are, we, are we leaving that farm, uh, that uh, young person on the farm, or are we not leaving the young person on the farm? That's, that's our son or daughter. Where are you going to live? So, so uh, this story is too rich not to tell. I'm, I'm visiting with two couples. One's the older couple, grandma and dad, and the other's their, their kids. And the kids say, hey, mom and dad, one thing we want to do in this transition is we want to buy an acre or, or part of an acre off of you at the farmstead there because we're going to build our house out there. And we want our kids to be in that school district because that's where they're going to be all the way through high school. And the kids were three and four, two and four, you know, just getting ready to start. The oldest ones just get ready to start school. So they wanted to have that all outlined. And mom and dad, grandpa, grandma, mom, dad kind of look at each other and go, well, wait a minute. If you're, if you're really wanting to live here, we, we kind of plan on just going to town and getting a different house. And so you just live in our house. And then the uncomfortable silence begins. And then after a period of time, I finally realized that the reason the kids wanted, the younger couple wanted to have the acre is because at the end of the day, daughter-in-law decided that place wasn't, the house wasn't good enough. She wanted to have her own new house. So, but, but you know, that's just a function of, we didn't communicate. We never communicated. We never let anybody know what the expectations were. So just make sure that's always clear all the time. And then the, the older generation needs to know what they're going to do about the spare versus equal thing. And their, what their contribution is to the operation, if the operation is going to continue, and the compensation for the non-farm kids, what does that look like? Does it include, include pieces of ground? Does it include a third of all the ground if there's three kids? You know, what, is, what, is, what should that look like? And for the younger generation, they're going to need money for their lifestyle. And the older generation is not necessarily going to understand that because right now, 
we're, you know, most people understand this, but there's some of the older generation that don't get it yet, but we're blowing a hole in our budgets, two to $400 a month for electronics, like, like cell phones and iPads and wireless and, and this and that and everything. And all that stuff takes cash and they've, they've managed to stick it to us pretty good. Then that bill simply wasn't there 30 years ago, that two to $400 it just wasn't there. Younger generations gonna to need to grow their business and they need capital to do that. And they need, and then there's a value difference between the generations on things like attitude towards debt, ownership versus writing, but more importantly, on family time versus work. It infuriates the older generation, my generation and above, my parents' generation, if the younger generation shuts the combine down at three o'clock on a Thursday afternoon in October during harvest, to go watch their junior high girl play junior high volleyball. It infuriates the older generation because by God, the only time you shut the combine down is for Friday night lights. You have a son playing big time football, Friday night high school football. Or back in the nineties and the first part of the two thousands, we shut the combine down on Saturday to watch Husky school. And now we don't even do that. Second pot, pot shot at Scott Frost, I apologize. But the bottom line is uh, family time versus work is important. Another family I'm talking with to go goes, the parents, are, I'm talking with the parents, the, the grandparents, and they're going, our son, we hired him to work here at the farm for us. We don't, he, he's got some of his own, but he has some of his own ground. So he's supposed to be here helping us fix our machinery and do our work for us. And uh, it turns out then that He's got a baby, his wife's a new mom, got a baby. That's cool, we love our grandkids, that's awesome. But we, we kind of expect him to do his own farming and eat. But his wife's expecting him to do his farming eight to five or when he's working for us so he could be home and eat. And so that was creating this, this uncomfortable situation. And it has to be communicated and has to be figured out. Phases of transfer to the next generation is important to consider. If you're gonna have, be lucky enough to have somebody come back to your operation, think about this. We're gonna have that young person come back. Are we testing them properly? Are they willing to go scoop manure? Are they willing to go fix fence? Are they willing to, to do the rotten jobs that uh, if my back's getting too rough to do, my, my knees to get to hurt too much, uh, my shoulders are out because I milk cows too long or whatever. Physically, physically for the older generation, we're starting to fail on some of these things a little bit. So that's why we have that, you know, we wanna have that younger generation around. That's a good thing. But to be true, if we just leave that, Younger generation on the business end of a fencing pliers or on the business end of a pitchfork, how long are they going to stay? They're not. So you better be considering what's going to happen with the management transfer, and you better do that very timed. The worst thing you can do is give management transfer all at once. Say, okay, son, January 1st, take care. Go, go for it. You're managing the whole thing. I'll help you. Go, go for it. If you don't, if you just turn it over to them all at once. You're both going to be mad at each other, probably, oh, you're going to both be livid with each other within six months, guaranteed, and probably within two or three months. Because the younger generation is going to make a different decision than the older generation would, and the older generation questioned that decision. So why'd you do that that way? And the older generation is going to be miffed because they made a decision that they wouldn't have made, and the younger generation is going to be mad because you gave me control. How dare you countermand that control? So... Just be careful with the management transfer. And what I suggest is do it planned, with, with timed out, planned. In other words, if I got a son coming back to my operation, I'm going to say, okay, you got that 80. That's yours. Decide what you're planting. Decide when you're going to plant, what fertilizer you're going to use, how you're going to control weeds, how you're going to market the crop, how you're going to harvest, when we're going to harvest, and all that stuff. That's your 80. Keep your own records. Let's compare it to the rest of the farm. Because at the end of the day, the only time, the only way that any of us ever learned is with experience and making mistakes. So we better start the younger generation with those mistakes. Don't give them the whole farm. Don't give them enough to hang the place or get the place in trouble, but give them a piece so they can, you know, if, if something would go to heck on that 80, if we'd lost that 80 or something bad went bad happened because we used the wrong whatever, then that's not all, that, that wouldn't take out the whole operation, but they hopefully we learned something. <laughs> or give them a section of grass or give them, whatever decide what bulls you're going to breed the cows with or i don't know you, you can decide what that looks like asset or enterprise transfer is the next thing you have to start working on and to me this isn't that hard uh asset transfer would be something like machinery and machinery you make sure you use the gift tax in other words i've got a son of a son or daughter back to operation i give that son or daughter fifteen thousand. my wife can give that son or daughter fifteen thousand. if they married they're married 
my, I can give that spouse 15,000 and my wife can give that spouse 15,000. All within the gift tax, gift tax exclusion for this year. That's up to 60,000. So you can start moving machinery fairly quickly if you just use that. There's some IRS forms you gotta fill out to make sure that's handled on the up and up, but you can do that. You can start that way or sell it to them, sell it to them or whatever. However, you just have to make sure you have a plan to take care of. Livestock transfer, the easy way to do that on cow calves is to say, son or daughter, if you're out there with me, even on a Sunday night, in the middle of the night, during a snowstorm when it's 30 below, if you're out there helping me all the time with that calving, I'm going to give you 10% of the crop, 30% of the crop, 50% of the crop, calf crop. That's all yours. And that's how you build their herd. That's how you get transferred out of yourself, you know, from yourself. And so that's not that hard. The way that state tax and the, the, the gift tax and all that stuff is set up now, we tend to wait to do the farmland transfer into a debt. And we don't know what's going to happen with the taxes going forward. And we know that, the, that some of the proposals aren't necessarily all that favorable to ag, but hopefully the ag people will get to Congress and, and adjust that a little bit for agriculture. But the whole farmland transfer, the way the, the laws are written correctly, or excuse me, currently, is that most of the land is going to transfer a debt. And we're doing that because right now we get the increase in basis. In other words, uh, a farm, let's, say, let's take an example farm. You got it from your mom and dad at $1,000 an acre. And now it's worth $3,000 an acre. That difference is what you could get to capital gains on. Well, the 3,000 minus 1,000, the basis is 2,000 capital gains. So if you sold that farm while you're still alive, you'd be liable for 25, 30% on that $2,000. However, if, you're, if you pass on, you've given it to your kids, now that capital gain, excuse me, that, that basis jumps up to whatever it is at the time of death. So if you die and it's worth $3,000 and your kids sell it for $3,000, they have no capital gains to death. And so they're talking about adjusting how they do that stepped up in basis. And so watch that very carefully. And that, but that's how I, I'm just giving you some examples. I'm trying to roll through this. I'm not going to get everything done by one o'clock, but hopefully maybe Brandon gives me a couple minutes finish next week. We'll see how I'll get as far as I can. Um, do all this written, written plans, have a business plan in place, have job descriptions in place, have a management structure in place, uh, have exit plans in place. And in the exit plans, you need to go for both the, the younger generation and the older generation because you never know who's going to have a problem or who, which spouse decides they don't want to be on the farm anymore, or those kind of things. Communication is the key to all this to happen correctly. And the first step to communication is to understand, and that's to listen. You have to understand where the other people are coming from first. If you don't listen to them first, you'll never get your point across. Talk all you want, never going to work. You have to listen first. And you have to listen first to, first to, under, to understand, and you, then, then you can be understood. That's the only way it's going to work. Because at the end of the day, am I going to listen to somebody that does not listen to me? At the end of the day, am I going to appreciate someone else if they don't appreciate what I'm saying? No. Okay. So I've always said my true friends are the friends that ask me about me, not just keep talking about themselves all the time and everything they're going to do because they're not showing you a proper appreciation. All right. Now, I, if I had a workshop in person, I'd make you do this practice part, and you have to repeat back to what you what you thought they said. They make sure they said that you make sure you repeat it back to them in a proper way, and make sure that you ask clarifying questions. Make sure you listen for that answer, repeat the answer, and then ask a clarifying question. What are you going to do uh, Friday night? Well, I planned to watch the Nebraska volleyball game. Now that's canceled against Wisconsin. Got canceled in an hour. And so I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. And so you would ask the question back, well, wow, basketball. So I heard you say that you were going to watch volleyball, and now that's canceled. Why? And then, you know, they're, they're getting clarifying questions. So it's canceled because of something to do with COVID, and somebody had COVID, and we don't know who yet. I don't know. I haven't seen that yet anyway. Listen to the answer and then ask another clarifying question. Never talk about yourself or what you'd like to say. Always ask them about what they're doing, what's going on, and ask clarifying questions about what they got going on. And you need to also consider a family meeting somewhere along the way here. And understand that if, if you choose to have a family meeting between your family members that have to work on what's going to happen with an estate plan, you're having that first family meeting not to make decisions. You're not. You're having that first family meeting so that you include all the family members 
then communicate so that you are you allow them the opportunity to have input. Because how do I feel about uh, how do I feel about being a part of the family? I'm going to feel good about it if I have input into what's going on. If I don't have input going into what's going on, how will I really feel like I'm a part of that family? No. So be careful. Think that through. Now you're not getting that you you know. And again, going back to the first comment I made earlier, uh, to get that are we going to have a family or not? When we get done with this conversation, get that commitment first. And the parents and grandparents need to agree how to proceed. And they, 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 they need to agree that it's okay to have a family meeting and how to, how to do this. I'm having, I have a fair number of lawyers that I've worked with or talked to that don't think we should have family meetings at all. They just need to take their matriarch and patriarch, put them in a room, and they work with them and decide how it's going to get all decided. No family meeting. That's, that's a waste of time. I say that it's important, and, and several other people that I work with say it's important to have input from everyone so you know what everybody's thinking. So we don't have that situation I described a few minutes ago where the, the kids were willing to come back to the farm and but give us an acre so we can build our house and that's not what the parents were thinking. So you, don't, you can avoid those, some of that conflict. If you have a family meeting, care, plan carefully to avoid disaster. Who do you invite? Again, lawyers will disagree with me on this, but I think you invite, invite the son, da, son, daughter, son, daughter, son, daughter, the second line there. And I think you invite the spouses too because it's been my observation, if I have a problem, it's usually coming from one of the spouses. And I'm not trying to rail on spouses. Heck, I'm one too, right? To my So I get that. But I, uh, some, some lawyers will say never invite the in-laws. And I'm kind of going, yeah, I think I want the spouses there because that's where a lot of questions get generated. And I personally would even include grandkids that are old enough to, to be participate and do it in a mature way. And I'm not going to prescribe that age because I know of 14 and 15 year old kids that'd be perfect in this kind of a discussion, especially if they're interested in farming or ranching. And I know of other grandkids that are 20, 21, 22, out of college that would not, should not, and are not mature enough to be in this discussion. So everybody has to figure that out for themselves. And if you're having a family meeting, make sure you have two ground rules in place and maybe more. Number one, if I have an idea because I'm being allowed to give input, I should not have that idea criticized. Don't allow it criticism. We're just generating ideas. More ideas the better. And number two, you have to be careful of the people who want to talk all the time. And if you need to, you institute a gag rule. It just basically says, everybody gets a chance to talk about what do we do with the South Farm. Everybody gets a chance to talk about the South Farm once. And nobody gets a second, make any second, second comment about the South Farm until everybody else in the family has had a chance to make a comment about it. No, no criticism, no, no extra talk, because I know of some people, even in my family, that will make some kind of a comment or make some kind of a follow-up statement to everything that's being said. And I, that, that's just disruptive and it just messes things up. No, institute the gag rule if you need to. Be iron-fisted about that. Um, let's see, I already talked about this. Uh, yeah, I have it on both slides, so I apologize. I can go on. When you get to decision making, then, then, who's at the table? If you're decision making, then it's mom, dad, grandpa, and grandma, and that might be it. If they got the rule, they can make the rule, and that's it. Or you could include them plus the children, son, daughter, son, daughter, son, daughter, but no spouses, no grandkids. Because at the end of the day, you as the gold makes the rule. We talked about that. Share with non-local family. Um, and then that, what I, what, what, what I mean by that is, um, what I mean by that is, I've sat with a family once where we had the non-farm kid call in on a uh, on a cell phone, speaker put on speakerphone, so they could listen to the conversation that's happened between the mom and dad and, and the other kids, the non-farm kids. And that person actually stopped the conversation and asked several good questions just to make sure he was clear on what was happening, and he was fine with with everything that was happening. But if you don't include them and they have those questions, then it creates doubt. It creates uh, problems. It can create, and with doubt, you you lose confidence. If you lose confidence and you don't trust, and if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. So be careful about that. Uh, be careful, of sweetheart deals. Um, so the most famous sweetheart deal story I have is the one situation: a family of four kids they lost their mom and dad. They were gone. The four kids. Had one of the brothers, the one brother was farming, the other three kids were sitting down with their brother to determine what happens for the rent the next year after mom and dad were gone. 
And uh, I'm going to use some fictitious numbers here, but but it, it just gives you the idea. The rent in that part of the world at that time when this happened was about three hundred dollars an acre. And so the four kids sit down and he asked the on-farm brother, "What did you? What are you paying mom and dad for rent?" He goes, "Well, I, I, I'm paying mom and dad ninety dollars an acre." And on the surface, that looks like the sweetheart deal of all sweetheart deals because rent's about three hundred dollars an acre per acre, and he's paying ninety. Well, somehow, it, from the other brothers and sisters' standpoint, he's getting such a good deal that he ought to have to pay back rent. And, he, and I've had that happen. And, and he, ought to, he, he, he owes us more. You know, he's not being fair to the state. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Be careful of these sweetheart deals, because at the end of the day, maybe they're good. But here's what I'm explaining. If I'm paying $90 an acre for rent, who's paying the taxes on the ground? If the tax is on the ground, it's 100 bucks an acre. The tenant did. The farmer did. He didn't make mom and dad pay for the taxes. He took care of it. Oh, and if there's a farmstead on that place, who took care of re-roofing and putting in new windows and siding and took care of rock on the driveway and stuff like that? Well, the farmer did. That tenant did. And if, if there was a pasture on the place and we wanted to circle the pivot to go all the way around, what do we do with that pasture? We brought in a bulldozer and paid for the bulldozer and had the pasture fence pushed in and had their trees pushed in and had the banks kind of leveled off so the pasture, so the circle, circle could work, so the pivot could work all the way around. Who paid for that bulldozer and all that work? And who did all the backbreaking work to pick that up? Mom, grandpa and grandma didn't do that. The, the farmer did. And by the way, who took care of mom and dad as they went from the farm to the assisted living, to the nursing facility, to hospice, and then all the end of life decisions? Well, that on-farm kid, because he was the one that was there. The other three weren't around. All I'm trying to point out is there's, there's always more than one side of the story. And in this case, if those yeah, that grandpa and grandma were getting 90 bucks a, a year clear, 90 bucks an acre a year clear, maybe they were getting a great deal. I don't know. You have to always ask more questions. Don't assume anything. And I already talked to the younger generation requires better communication while we receive. And I already talked about the, the older generation not wanting to talk about their business. Um, here's another way to look at the communication thing. And by the way, you have to show that you're listening. And here's kind of a, a, a kind of an ending video to prove the point about listening properly. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. So the bottom line is, if the other people don't feel like we're listening to them, you're in trouble. And by the way, why do I show that video that I just showed? Because it happens to me all the time. My wife or my children are starting to try to describe something, or even my brother trying to describe something, and I've got the solution, but I got I got to not give the solution. I got to let them describe it because if I jump in and give them the solution and they're not ready to hear it, it doesn't do any good. And especially with my wife, this doesn't do any good. Got to let it, let it all come out, let it all happen, and then you, and at some point in time, when they're ready for the solution, then you can try and uh, provide some solutions. Um, uh, I've already talked about that. Okay, difficult personalities, a new slide for this uh, segment, for this uh, video. That is that uh, um, 
they don't, we, we run into that older generation, especially the, like I've said, the Eastern European uh, descents that don't want to share personal information. And it's a tend, it tends to be a generational value typically. They don't want to give up control. They don't want to give up, they don't talk about be not being in control. If I talk about my estate plan or if I talk about my uh, succession plan, that means I'm not in control and I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about death, so I'm avoiding all these thoughts. I'm not going to deal with it. And, it, and if, if they don't feel like they're being listened to or appreciated by their families, they don't want to ever share. And by the way, since this is like the second time I've showed this slide, if you've got other things to add to this in terms of what those difficult personalities look like, please let me know. I'd love to add more to that slide. But those are the things I think about when I think about somebody not wanting to communicate properly with their other family members. And some strategies I think that you got to do, number one, is you got to figure out how to increase communications with them. You have to make them feel, make sure they feel appreciated, make sure they feel like they're a part of, make sure they're, 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 what they're saying is being valued. Make them be appreciated. Talk about anything else to begin with. In Nebraska, you used to talk about the Huskers, but now you talk about, sorry, Scott Frost reference number three. So you talk about the weather, or you talk about the volleyball team, or you talk about whatever, okay? Talk about something else, just to get them started talking, just to, just to start engaging the conversation, and you could try and maneuver it around to that difficult, thing that you want to get to. If you can't get to them, then maybe you try to find out who their kingmaker is. They're the king. Who's the kingmaker? Is it is if it's an old guy, is it the mom? If, if it's an old guy, is it his banker? Is it his pastor? Is it uh, you know, I don't know who that was. one of his friends, somebody he goes to play cards with. I mean, we just have to figure out who that kingmaker is to get them to listen to somebody. And then always maybe when you do the conversation with them, try and get Try and give several choices for everything that you're talking to them about, so they you get you get you get some idea what their preference might be. Those are some of my strategies that I haven't that I have thought about that how we deal deal with difficult personalities, and sometimes you never get you never sometimes you never get through to them properly. But it's just something to think about. Some ways to try and start that conversation. And then you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about negotiation. I think I got time to do this yet. Negotiation is interesting because how often do we negotiate? Well, we negotiate all the time. With the used car or used tractor salesman, with the with the grandkids or, or kids that go, I want a candy bar, I want a candy bar, I want a candy bar when we were able to go to the grocery store. And and then or with family. In this case, I want to talk about the family uh, because that's where it gets to be tough. Because we're using this all the time. We're tractor leasing, rental rates, for purchases, custom work. We do negotiation all the time for all this stuff, tractor purchases, anything. It's a back and forth process when you have opposed and, and shared views and you're trying to figure out how to come out, how to make this work out. But more importantly, I want you to think about this. I was taught how to negotiate by my father and my father taught me that I had to win. Think about that. Okay. Now this is kind of a made up story, but it would be very similar to what my dad would have done to me, but I'm gonna make up the story. I go with my dad to the use, it's made up, it's not real, but I'm, it's, it's exactly what happens. I go with my dad, I'm 13 or 14 years old, I go to the, to the implement dealer, we sit in a salesman's room, and we're, we're negotiating on a, a different tractor, not a new tractor, but a used tractor, and we're $100 apart, dad and the salesman are $100 apart, 14 years old, 1969. And we spent two hours there, haggling back and forth on what could happen, what should happen. To, and finally, at the end of the two hours, I think the salesman was so sick of seeing us in his office that he gave us the split the difference, $50. We went our way. All right, let's talk about 1969 for a second. In 1969, if I shelled corn or if I held hay bales or if I hauled bales, I was getting paid 75 cents or a buck an hour. Okay, remember? 75 cents to a dollar an hour. That's what labor was worth on the farm. We're going home, this didn't happen, but I'm making it up. We're going home and I get in the pickup. I said, dad, we just spent two hours with that guy. Yeah, we did. We got $50 out of him. Yeah, we did. Well, it seems like a awful long time just to get $50. He said, where else were you? And he goes to me, where else were you gonna make $25 an hour this afternoon? Touche, true. So for some people, it was all about winning. You had to win. Okay, but if we're working with family, how's that? What's that going to feel like? If I work over my 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 brother for that last fifty bucks, or if I work over my children and make, put them pit them against each other, how's that going to work? I don't think that's good. I don't think the family members are going to appreciate if they do not feel good about this or appreciate what's going on if they feel like they lost. That's my point of bringing this all up. If we're negotiating and we're negotiating with family, let's put away that old way of negotiating, which meant we had to win. We have to think better. We have to do better than that. 
This should not be about winning with families. We have to create more value. We have to think win-win. Get creative when you think about that, how you create that value. It has to be more than you're, you want to sell for $2, I'll give you a dollar and we end up with a buck and a half. That's, we have to do better than that, okay? If you're selling widgets for $2, I want to give you a dollar. Maybe I'm going to ask, well, do you have the 2021 widget or do you have the 2020 widget? The 2021 widget has the extra add-on feature, which is called the thingamajig. And if you have that 21 model, I'll give you the $2. But if you only have a 20 model or a 19 model, I'm only going to give you a dollar. Now, how do we create more value? What does that look like? Like when I, when I trade for trucks, I'm, I'm trying to negotiate for running boards or I'm trying to negotiate for a tonneau cover or something like that. How do we create that value? We do the same thing with tractors and everything else. We have to think win-win. How do we make that happen? Get creative. How do we trade labor? How do we, how do we add on? When we get in trouble with family on negotiation, we tend to forget these five things. Appreciation. Do we appreciate everybody we're working with? Are they being listened to? I kind of talked about them here. Affiliation. Are we treating people as adversaries? Are we trying to win? Or are we treating them as colleagues, colleagues or as family? I think we have to think about that. And then autonomy, status, and role. Autonomy, free to make decisions, status, or you be treated inferior or role. Are you fulfilled with the role you have? Autonomy, status, and role. Us old people, us old white guys tend to be unfair to people with autonomy, status, and role because we don't treat the young people with proper autonomy, status, and role. And we don't treat females any age with proper autonomy, status, and role. Be careful about those. Just watch that. <laughs> Here's how to create more value, Star Wars style. This is, this is uh, in their first original Star Wars. Obi-Wan and uh, Luke are negotiating passage to Alderaan with uh, Han Solo and uh, Chewbacca and uh, see how that negotiation goes. Solo, I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's the ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I've outrun Imperial starships. Not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Carillion ships now. She's fast enough for you, old man. What's the cargo? Only passengers. Myself, the boy, two droids, and no questions asked. What is it, some kind of local trouble? Let's just say we'd like to avoid any Imperial entanglements. Well, that's the real trick, isn't it? And it's going to cost you something extra. 10,000, all in advance. 10,000? Yeah. And I'll buy our own ship for that. But who's going to fly it, kid? You? You bet I could. I'm not such a bad pilot myself. I'm going to sit here and listen. We can pay you 2,000 now, plus 15 when we reach Alderaan. 17. Okay, you guys got yourselves a ship. We'll leave as soon as you're ready. Docking Bay 94. 94. That gives you, that gives you an idea of uh, you know, how to create more value. In other words, it wasn't a $10,000 deal or 10,000 whatever they were units they were using. It's a $17,000 deal, but you have to get us there first. So that's how you create more value, and that's how you have to think about that. Um, fair may not always be equal. I talked about that already. Perception differences. I got like two minutes left. If you got any questions, put them in the chat. There's a perception difference between the older, excuse me, between the on-farm kid and the off-farm kids. The on-farm kid knows what he's contributed to that operation over a period of years. And he thinks he rates his perception of his contribution is eight out of 10, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10. It's because of my work and my expertise and my training in college and all that stuff that I brought back into this operation, we were rocking this thing and we got the biggest we were. And all his brothers and sisters off farm will say, little Johnny's contribution is uh, four out of 10, five out of 10, six out of 10, because we know that he supplied sweat. He worked hard, but you know, he's always ridden mom and dad's coattails. And mom and dad, especially dad, was always the brains of the operation. So there understands there would always be a gap there. There's a perception. Um, I already talked about the rest of this. I won't talk about that. I won't take time. 
get your, here's your homework assignment. I'm going to get this done right on time. Go, well, maybe not quite. I have to get, let me go a couple of minutes a lot long. You got to have a team. And your team might include your banker, your advisor, CPA, insurance agent, but it probably almost has, has to include a lawyer, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at them. Before you go see your lawyer, get this together. Here's where I save you your money. Get your list of what you have, your assets, your big balance sheet. This is what I have. This is what I owe, if anything. How do I have it? Is it a sole proprietorship? Is it in a corporation? Is it a partnership? To list all that stuff separate. And then, then you and the, the matriarch patriarch or the people in charge of this operation decide what you want to do with it. In the perfect world, this is what I want to have to happen to my stuff. Then go see a lawyer. Too many people spend time thinking, well, I got to decide before I go see a lawyer whether I'm going to have a, 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 a LLC or a trust. What's the difference there? And I got to come up with this and I got to come up with that. How's the tax going to be? Don't worry about any of that stuff. Have a good list, decide what you want to do it, and then go see the lawyer. If the lawyer is any good, they'll apply the right tool to it. If you don't feel good about the tool, go get it, find a different lawyer. Lawyers are a dime a dozen. Don't be afraid to fire one and get a different one because you should get done what you want to have done and make sure that you make that clear. Here's some articles to get more information. They'll be on the slides. I'm not gonna take time to show them to you now. They'll be on the slides uh, if you wanna pull them up later on. The other, we already talked about the rural response hotline. Uh, that's an, you can get an hour to get questions answered and they have, mon well, they have monthly clinics across the state when they meet in person right now, they're doing it by phone. So you can call that number and get an hour with Joe and Dave. Joe Hawbaker's an attorney. Dave Gaylor is a good financial guy. Get an hour with them and kind of talk about what's going on and get you started. Or you can call me, I'll help you get started too. Nebraska being beginning farmer information for the next gen program. Uh, that's a good thing to know about. Make sure you look that up, next gen, Nebraska University, excuse me. If you're starting a beginning farmer, make sure you use the next gen program. It gives the landowner credit for their taxes. Here's some other resources, uh, farm credit, Nebraska Investment Finance Authority, Nebraska Department of Revenues, Farm Service Agency has a variety of loans. So make sure you utilize those if you're a beginning farmer. The last thing I want to say is Landlink. Landlink, I started at the beginning of the month. Uh, we're trying to solve two problems. Land seekers, we got young people willing to go farm, but they don't have access. If they don't have access to their family, they don't have access to land. So they have trouble with access to, to farming land ranch ground just so they could do their operation or their potential operation. Older generation, like I said earlier, about half don't have a succession plan. So the children are not in farming and ranching. So the older generation needs to uh, maybe if they want if they want their operation to continue as their operation, like XYZ Ranch or XYZ Farmland, then they better think about what they could do to help somebody get started with their operation and keep it going as XYZ. So what, what we try to do is create a database here or keeping track of uh, land seekers and landowners. I'm not going to publish it online. It's just going to be kept in, kind of in my office on my computer. And I'll be getting applications for both groups. Right now, I have over 30 applications from land seekers. Okay. And applications were reviewed, and I'll do follow up phone calls with both land seekers and land, land owners. And we're trying maybe make two or three matches or get some matches going, give, give the land owners two or three matches from land seekers, and they can decide who they, who they want to talk to, if they want to talk to, if they want to interview, if they want to have them come out to the place, they can decide what they want to have happen. It started, and I have, like I said, over 30 applications from land seekers, so I need more landowners in, clearly. And you can go to the website, uh, farm.unl.edu, and look for Landlink. It has online information, online videos that I've already done, I've already recorded, and the application's available at that website. If you have any questions, come make sure you contact me. Communications is the key. Please listen. Um, have a family meeting. Try and gather some input. Don't make decisions, gather input. Get all those end-of-life decisions in place, and fair is not equal to good luck. And so that's the end of my talk. Is there any questions? I, nobody typed in a single question today. We had uh, close to 90 people on, so that's interesting. But uh, glad to have you on. Next week, I won't have anything to finish because I got finished. So we'll have Brandon on. He'll talk about, we'll get, I'll get him started. We'll get him introduced. And he'll talk about some of the tools that you can use, some things you think about, as you're, if, especially if you're transferring your operation onto another generation or to some other entity, some things you can use. Any questions? Somebody said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thanks for taking the time. Anything else? Ryan, did we record? We did record. Okay, cool. All right. I think we can stop the recording.
and I'll hang on for another minute. Uh, this has been a special Nebraska Farmcast so presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch question. Management in the Somebody... Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.